Hey there, this is Sam Buck, your host of Go Go Gadget Local. On this show, I'll be highlighting some of Ann Arbor, Michigan's most beloved local businesses. I'll be speaking with the founders to learn their stories, the inspiration behind what they built, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. But mostly, we'll be looking at how local community is at the very heart of what these founders have built. In an age of optimization and efficiency, where you can get literally anything delivered to your door almost instantaneously, we'll explore how local can be an incredible and differentiating strength. How authentic community connection and service can create resiliency. In our second episode, I'll be speaking with Bill Brinkerhoff and Kathy Sample, founders of Argus Farmstop. Bill and Kathy met during their time in business school at the University of Michigan. They would move to the East Coast, start a family, and find high-flying success on the traditional corporate ladder before Ann Arbor called them home. And since they've been back in A2, they've been busy. I don't want to steal their thunder, so I'll let them share the details. But with Argus Farmstop, they are completely reshaping what is possible in our local food system. I spoke with Bill and Kathy the morning after the election when we were all anxiously awaiting for final votes to be counted. Speaking with them was a much needed break and a way to take my mind off of things. Bill and Kathy, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and for all you're doing in Ann Arbor around local food systems. You're true heroes in my book. To everyone else, kick back and enjoy the episode. Kathy, Bill, thank you both for joining me today. It has been a wild 24 hours within a wild week, within a wild month, within a wilder year. Um, I'll start just by asking how you both are doing. Man, we're, we're hanging in there. It's the, the day after the uh, election and the results are still being counted and we're, and we're hopeful. Um, you know, the government policies have a huge impact on local farming and food systems. And uh, we you know, are looking for uh, some changes there, hopefully. We'll see where that comes through. But um, I think we got, we got a little bit of sleep and we're glad to be here calling or joining you at least um, from Ann Arbor, from our house in Ann Arbor, where we could get some quiet and uh, a little bit of focus here to talk with you today. Yeah, thank you. Well, I think you've got a lot of people in your camp crossing fingers for change. We'll, we'll keep our eyes glued to the results and hopefully this next 30 minutes is a little bit of a break for both of us. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so this podcast, as you know, is about Ann Arbor in the community and the local businesses that give this community its character and its vibrancy. But before stepping into the, the business zone, I want to focus just on both of you and your ties to Ann Arbor for a moment. How did your paths collide? How did you first find your way to Ann Arbor? Well, uh, Bill is from Ann Arbor, and I came to Ann Arbor to go to business school, and so that's where we met in business school uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, at that time, Ann Arbor was a pretty amazing place. It was just about the same time that Zingerman's was Zingerman's Deli was starting. Um, Bill and I were laughing. It's about the same time as the creation of a latte, like where you could go get a coffee called a latte uh, and at a, a shop that specialized in that kind of thing. So it was, things were changing in terms of how people were acting in community and how 
uh, how businesses were starting too. So it was an entrepreneurial time, I think, and there was a lot of focus on entrepreneurship at the time we were in business school. And Bill, you grew up in Ann Arbor. What was it like growing up here? What was it like being a part of this community from, from day zero? <laughs> day zero. Ann Arbor is a special community um, in that there's a lot of um, positions and opinions um, and a lot of intellectual capability. Um, it's a great place to grow up. And I, you know, I think it, it kind of retains the, like the small town, town charm where you can enjoy this city um, you know, in a relatively compact area, um, but the city itself attracts world-class um, arts and world-class restaurants um, and world-class ideas. And so I think it's a really uh, a kind of a, a city that is fermenting with new things and new approaches. And so it's really uh, a great place to, uh, to grow up um, and a great place to go to school. Yeah, it also attracts world-class business school students, which you both of course were. Um, tell me a little bit about your decision to go to business school. Was there a reason um, that you made that decision? Well, for me, it was just the logical next step in my career. So I started out as a chemist and then went into sales and knew that I wanted to um, move within uh, chemical companies at the time. So I, a business school degree was just logical for me to go do that. Yeah, and I was an uh, an engineer at General Motors uh, at the time, and um, and you know was really curious about the business rationale for all these decisions that were being made, and wanted to learn more about it. So I really um, went to business school for that purpose, and uh, yeah, and ended up you know meeting Kathy there, and uh, you know when we graduated from business school, um, you know we ended up moving to the East Coast as uh, as a place where uh, we both had some really, you know, some nice job offers and kind of more on the traditional career path coming out of business school at that point. Can you tell me a little bit more about that traditional career path? Yeah, I think, you know, working for bigger companies, um, I think we both work for bigger companies um, in the chemical and pharmaceutical industry, um, respectively, and, um, you know, and working in kind of complex operations. And, and you know, I actually was, was running the packaging line on the night shift, making Centrum vitamins as the, you know, the management experience, you know, from American Cyanamed, which is the company that, that hired me. Um, and, uh, and you kind of go through these programs where they, they teach you all parts of an operation, um, from operations to marketing to sales. And they, at least, you know, my company was trying to groom people who could, you know, take bigger responsibility at some point in the future. And, so that, I'd say that was like the traditional big company path for an MBA um, back in, in 89. Yeah, it was interesting because back then, if you went and looked at who was coming out of business school, the big three, Ford, GM, and Chrysler, were by far the biggest hirers of business school students. And so if you look at those people now, it's a completely different profile of Hiring companies completely different. It's, it's, it's really evolved. So you're in the East Coast. You have these wonderful careers. You're climbing the ladder. You're working night shifts, being groomed to go to the top. Mm -hmm. um, what is it that pulls you away from the East Coast and back to Ann Arbor? What prompted that move? I, I, we love the East Coast when we live there. I have to say, we live in uh, Montclair, New Jersey, and Ridgewood, New Jersey. 
you know, great towns, great communities and enjoyed it. Um, but I think as we started a family, um, so we had uh, three kids um, by the time that we moved back in 2001. Um, and we also had aging parents back in Michigan. So we were traveling here frequently. Um, and then uh, I think we really just decided that why not um, be a little bit less traditional and pick where we want to live, like what would be the best place to live. And we thought, man, wouldn't it be great to have jobs in Ann Arbor, like not be starving students and raise our family there, you know, where you can, uh, you know, go to a restaurant on a bicycle instead of, you know, an hour by car, you know, to get to New York City. You know, so it was just, a, it was a desire to be closer to family um, and to do this great experiment to say, let's, uh, let's, let's pick where we want to live first and then optimize career in that place. And, you know, the first time we made the decision, it was like pick what we wanted to do for career and move wherever we had to move. And so I'd say both decisions were correct, you know, looking backwards, um, um, but it really, it worked well just to, uh, to move back and try to transition our careers to Ann Arbor. Um, it took us a couple of years to get all that kind of in place eventually, but it worked out well, especially looking backwards now, we're happy we did it. So in that transition to Ann Arbor, did you immediately jump back and start Argus or is there a transitionary period there where you're doing different jobs and, and if so, what were those? Oh, well, we continued our traditional jobs. We just did them here. So we, uh, we moved here. I, I moved first, got a trans or got a new job here in Michigan. And then Bill joined me with the kids, you know, some, a few months later. And, uh, and so we just continued doing our jobs from here. We should say, Kathy, it took her like less than a week to get a new job here because she's very good at networking. And one of her former uh, managers was a CEO of a Michigan company. So like snap of fingers and she was, you know, in place. And I worked for my old company and, re and, and uh, commuted, you know, every other week back to New Jersey and then shifted from Big Pharma um, to work for biotech. And there's, there's um, lots of biotech companies here in Ann Arbor, much smaller operations, but, uh, you know, but led to a career path here that by the second year, I think I, I uh, started working with local biotechs. And I think then we got smaller and smaller. I think as our careers progressed, continued to work for smaller companies. Um, and then it really wasn't until 2013, we had a juncture in our careers where a, company, a biotech company I was working for was sold and Kathy was on the verge of actually returning to work where we could ask the question, what do we want from our careers now? You know, that our kids are older, two are out of the house, we had one left, you know, what should we do? And, and that's where we kind of led to the thinking about local food system. Uh, like instead of even thinking about your traditional career path, how do you want to spend your time? Where do you want to have impact? And, um, and we felt like local food systems was an area that really needed some help in general. So what was your entrance into local food systems? You know, were you going to farmer's markets? Were you friends with the local restaurants and chefs? Um, what was your entrance into that world? Well, we've always participated in a CSA. In fact, in New Jersey, we were like one of the hub spots for a CSA that would deliver all the stuff to our garage every two weeks and then the 30 members or so would come and pick up their CSA goods and that was an organic but not local CSA but that was a great experience to meet the people that were in were interested in in buying food that was not industrial and uh 
and we've always gone to farmers markets. It's always been an interesting thing that we've done when we've traveled and we've traveled a lot. So whenever we were, no matter where we were in whatever country, because Bill and I both traveled a lot for work, we would just, that was an interesting thing to us. So we had an affinity for local, locally produced products and good food. And then one day we were dropping our second kid off at college in the College of Worcester, which is a small town, small college in Ohio. And we wandered into this little market. And it was just one of those aha moments where you look around and you say, wow, this is unique. There were farmers delivering goods. There were people putting those goods on shelves. It was like a farmer's market, but it was open every day. It had a cafe um, and a commercial kitchen. So we thought about that and went back to Ann Arbor, thought about it some more and thought that would work here in Ann Arbor. And that was where we kind of thought that would be a good thing to do. That would be contributing to our community and also solving a problem. And I'd say, you know, we had to really, we were not, we didn't have a steeped farm background or food system background. So we were definitely outsiders kind of looking in. Um, and I'd say what we did was lean in. You know, we had as many conversations with people as we could. You know, we developed some fluency in what some of the issues were and what some of the opinions were. Um, and then we actually found a, a course offered by the Michigan Department of Agriculture where they train you to be a farmer's market manager, a certified farmer's market manager. And so uh, Kathy and I and our, our third kind of founding partner, Scott Fleck, signed up for this and we spent the winter of 2014 uh, every week going to farmer's market school. And that really gave us like a lot more depth into what we were kind of entering into. Um, but I would say it wasn't really, yeah. We were different than any other participant because they were managers of generally small farmer's markets who were just trying to understand like, what do you do if there's a tornado on market day? And how do we solve issues that come up between vendors at the farmer's market. And we knew at the time that we were going to try to do this thing. So one of the projects at the end of this, end of this farmer's market class was to present to the other attendees what you were planning to do as a result of the class. And everybody else was presenting how they were going to change their approach to market, how they were going to adapt their market to different things. And we presented, okay, we're going to have an everyday farmer's market, which so that audience was a novel thing, um, but it gave us an idea of what kind of feedback we would get when we were talking to farmers and other people in the community. And actually at the same time we were doing those things. So we, I think we spoke to over 200 different people in starting Argus and we did essentially focus groups. We tried to figure out what, what were the pain points and what were the support points. That's where that business background comes in handy when you start doing focus groups around the farm system. Yeah, yeah. it, it well, we had to call back to a lot of our learning from business school because, you know, we worked in different functional areas in our big companies, but, you know, to start a company from scratch, you have to go back and revisit HR and information systems and hiring policies and, you know, every everything decision you have to make to start an organization. And even sales because it's a new thing and sometimes you can tell that the person that you're pitching is not understanding what you're trying to uh, do. And so it's kind of an interesting 
It happened a lot in the yeah. beginning. <laughs> it did happen a lot. Yeah. 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 So, so pulling at that thread a little bit, you, you pitched this new idea for an everyday farmer's market at the end of this class and you're having talks with, it sounds like hundreds of different people. Did people, what was the reaction? Did people initially gravitate towards it, call you crazy, wonder what you were doing? What was that initial reaction from people? I, I mean, I think there's general interest and support for local food ideas. Um, and it's an area where you can generate a conversation pretty easily. Um, but I think there's also been a lot of um, initiatives that have been proposed and tried and didn't work. So there's kind of some, some native skepticism. And I think what we found was um, it was until we actually picked the Liberty location at 325 West Liberty and, ha and started the build out, um, like there was a tremendous acceleration of interest once they could see that this was a separate building and it was going to be designed in a way to showcase local food and, it, and it, you know, it was just hard for people to visualize and before you had a site um, or and also what we tried to do was you know have pictures of local roots in Worcester Ohio as an example but but I'd say yeah there was some skepticism but a lot of support um, skepticism that older farmers people who've been farming for generations just couldn't quite picture what we were trying to do. You know, I think in their brain they were picturing, you know, card tables with their stuff on it or something. And um, but younger farmers who are technology natives and who are thinking differently were very thoughtful in their questions about it, but they were looking for new outlets because one thing we discovered during this path was that not having a robust outlet other than the once a week farmers market really limits what farmers are willing to grow and put themselves out there for. But if a farmer really wants to try some new things, if they know there's going to be an outlet for it, a place to sell it, they're going to change and adapt and start to do those things. So it was fun to see that the gears turning. But we also did, we did learn a very important lesson, which is you need, just like in any industry, to talk to the thought leaders. And among the farmers, there are some farmers who just, other farmers kind of watch for what, where, where the wind's blowing. And once we identified those farmers, our path became much easier. Once they were on board, everybody else started to fall in line. So that was, a, that was something we learned down yeah. the path, yeah. not, not as early as maybe we'd have liked. Yeah. So yeah, for Ann Arbor, it was it was Tantray and Getz Farm and Green Things and Sealy and Sunseed. There's you know probably half a dozen at that point who were very kind of influential and successful, um, and we kind of worked our way in that little pool first. And then once they said yes, then we expanded. We w once they said yes, we actually then felt brave enough to sign a lease, um, mm -hmm. which we did um, in March of uh, 2014, and then. Um, and then, yeah, we opened in August of 2014. So you're building out that Liberty location. Can you tell me a little bit about the look and feel of the place that you were trying to create, along with maybe a little bit more description on the business model that made Argus Farm Stock so unique? In terms of the look and feel, one of the things that we knew about that location is it had been an abandoned gas station, right, for ten, at least 10 years, and there had been like some other uh, businesses that were not successful. I think it was the grass station when we, when we first looked at it and it was plywood windows and, you know, really messed up. But we realized that 
when we parked in the parking lot and just watched what was happening during the day, who was coming through the parking lot, it's a lot of families. It was a lot of people going downtown, um, even on Saturday, going to the farmer's market. So we thought, okay, how do we involve the community? So as we did the build out, we made sure that we were, doors were open. Um, we would answer questions. At one point we put our color palette on the outside of the building and put a marker out there and let people vote. And some of our most regular customers are those people who came to help us paint the walls. Like we had a volunteer day and 30 people showed up. It was really, uh, people were really interested in making this non-contributing delinquent site into something that wasn't an eyesore. And also they were a little intrigued by how uh, ground, like how we did it, like just kind of ourselves scraping window panes. So. Yeah. And maybe like the business model um, breakthrough you know, that we got from local roots in Worcester, which is we give them full credit for it and they were really helpful in working with us. But the idea is to have an everyday farmer's market um, that's open all year long. Um, where you're buying exclusively local goods produced by local producers, whether they're farmers or ranchers or artisanal food um, uh, makers, um, and that they're sold in a way that the farmer can go back to the farm. So they can drop off their goods, they, they retain ownership, they set the prices, um, and then they take 75% of gross sales, which is a really big number just uh, compared to like uh, nationally on average, farmers get 15 cents on the dollar. So to go to a level at Argus that's five times higher than that um, could really, in our hope, in our minds, turbocharge the, um, you know, the economics of these farms and get them, you know, sustainable incomes. Um, so that's the kind of the breakthrough on the business model that just makes it much easier to, um, to buy and sell local foods and that how it's all possible is that we have no distribution, no middle people between us and the farms. So there's no one uh, right now, uh, middle people take 85% of sales from the farm until you go buy it at the supermarket. Um, and at Argus, those farmers drop off ready to sell items. Um, and we take 25%, which is enough to, for us to meet our costs. And we're organized in a way so that we cover all of our costs. Um, but we, we send as much money as we can afford back to the farms. And, and right now that's 70, 75% of sales. So, um, so the model is new and it is really energizing. Um, there's lots of farms that are there dropping off their goods every day. Um, and customers, you know, suddenly, instead of having to remember which day of the week to go get their goods, um, they can just come anytime and drop in and get the pick of the season, whatever showed up that day or the day before. I'm struck by how community driven every piece of this process and Argus Farm Stop really is from the creation and, and voting on color palettes to empowering farmers and cutting out the middleman. Um, it really does seem like Argus Farm Stop has become much bigger than just you two. It really is a community endeavor. And I think that is embodied by the fact that you now have this educational mission. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, how it came to be and, and what it is? Maybe I can give the background, you can give what it is, but how, how it came to be, it was, you know, this is a unique model and we always felt that since Local Roots was so supportive of us and let us learn their model, that we're an open source store and we openly share whatever we've learned and our systems and procedures. You know, if you want to start one of these in your town, um, come talk to us and we will we'll, we'll let you have every 
thing that we've learned. Um, and that's been a great policy that we continue. But the problem was it became a little bit unwieldy because we were having people stop by multiple times a week. And we found that we were needing to explain how it works um, to a group on Tuesday and another person who stops by on Friday and then a phone call the following week. Um, and it was fine with us, but it was starting to take a lot of time. Um, and so our goal was to try to organize it so it could involve more staff and that we could actually assign people to it. So the best person to talk about how we pay the farms, how do you calculate 75% of sales and do all the math? Like, so the, the person who does that leads a session on producer payouts. Um, so we get the right people in the room, we involve more people, and then um, we also, by publishing it and, and setting now what we, we have now every month, a three-day uh, online course during COVID and in-person, maybe after COVID, um, you know, we organize a, a way for people just to sign up so they don't have to feel like they're imposing. Um, they, you know, it's something that we offer and enjoy for, for ourselves and for our staff. And you know, I think that the model has hope to uh, change a lot of food systems the way it's changed ours in Ann Arbor. And, and? Oh, and I don't, if you had more to add on you know, kind of where it's going now or some of the content. Well, we, I we think, cover. yeah, we were having you know, so many conversations that it just seemed logical to kind of organize it in a way that we were able to deliver the message about how you do different things and, and do it in a way that people can absorb it more easily rather than a, ton of different phone calls where I talk to somebody about the finances and then I they have a question about the build out and I bills answering separate emails and everything so man class actually helps and in one unexpected way which is that the people who are attending the classes can learn from each other and create that kind of a network as well so if that uh, having an organized class with a person running it has made a lot of sense and has made the classes better and I think really the information that we're giving is being given in a better format than perhaps just random email responses. And I'll just kind of say um, I think there's a huge demand to learn more about how communities can involve their local food systems and improve them and I think we've got a real shot at a solution that has utility far outside of Ann Arbor. I mean this this is I the only model that I'm aware of um, that is leading to these kinds of incomes happening so quickly for farms and making buying local so easy, easy and building community along the way. It, there, there's other approaches to take, but this, this is a very pure strategy to really um, rapidly improve local food systems. And, uh, and for example, the, the city of uh, Bloomington, Indiana sent 15 people to Argus to learn how to um, start and operate a model like this. And they came in January this year and um, they're, they're determined to have like the best systems for their local food economy. And it was wonderful to spend three solid days with their team. And we, could, and we were fortunate um, that we've just been able to name a full-time training manager in Katie Alexander who is a former Zingtrain staff person. And so she's, uh, we've used Zingtrain, we, we admire what Zingerman's does and, and we've Zingtrained all of our staff, but now to have somebody with that experience who can help us take training to the next level is really exciting. This is such a neat way to keep your community focused while scaling your impact um, in a way that doesn't hurt your mission at all. I, I just love that. 
Um, you mentioned COVID. I know that COVID has thrown a wrench in pretty much every business's plans, every community's plans. How has COVID affected the farmers you work with and also your operations at Argus? Well, COVID, boy, I'll tell you, that was, our, I think the biggest thing that it showed us is that the farms are really dependent on the farmer's market and in Ann Arbor, uh, while farmer's markets were legal, legally allowed to be open, Ann Arbor, the city made the decision, and I think wisely, to close the market early on in the pandemic. But the farmer's market manager came on over and we have good relationships. We act very communally and not competitively with um, different groups who are pushing local food, CSAs, farms, whatever. So farmer's market manager came over and said, I think we're gonna have to close the market. What can you guys do? And we talked about what, what could we do? And we pretty quickly were able to put in temporary cooling and freezing to be able to take more local farms goods so that since they weren't going to market, they could just bring them to Argus. And we started, I think we realized we needed to add staff. We needed to work 24 seven. Um, we needed to do crazy things like take inventory, which we hadn't done before, but if you're gonna sell uh, online, which we, we did, we closed one store, the package store and went 100% online, um, which is, you know, that was painful. You have to close your coffee bar. We had just gotten a tavern license, but we, I, I'm not gonna use the P word because it's annoying. It gets used too much, but. We did, we pivoted. No! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. It was, I mean, it was as hard as starting Argus originally to re-imagine um, how to, to sell local food during COVID. And it, um, what happened was our sales um, almost, almost tripled overnight um, as the industrial channels dried up and people were afraid of shopping and the big stores couldn't get online fast enough, you know, that we had to figure out how to do it really fast and uh, took all of our staff and all of our energy as much as in 2014. Like we were back every day trying to figure this thing out. and. Um, I'd say after about two months of continually adjusting how we would do things, you know, we, we started to have some, what resembled stability of a brand new online store that, that went, for example, we had it in place before we filled 10 online orders the first week in March. And we thought that was a pretty good week, a few restaurants here and there. And we went on to uh, st have over 9,000 orders in the following few months uh, for, for delivery. Um, and it was uh, uh, delivery or pickup, and it was um, just a massive volume of food going through 1,200 Packard. Uh, I want to add that, like the university, having good relationships within the university, when we decided to do delivery, we thought, I think Bill said, hey, they're not using all those catering trucks over there. So we got in touch with the head guy in dining, Steve, Steve, Steve. Mangan, and he immediately got us a van. I mean, it was just like, Having good relationships and working with people, uh, especially people who are moving forward all the time and really thinking things through, she really helped us out because I think for a few weeks we were renting a commercial van and it was... We started driving yeah. all the groceries in the back of Laura's oh. Subaru. <laughs> That's right. Um, and we switched to our pickup, which worked fine unless it was raining. And then we rented a van from Hertz and then we leased a vehicle from Steve Mangan, and then we bought a, a delivery vehicle from the university. 
last month. So it's been. I guess we're in it to win it. <laughs> yeah, we're in, we're in it now. But it's been it's been good. I think the customers who have come to online shopping at Argus um, are a bunch of new customers who had not been at Argus before. And I think once you experience local food and you see the great quality of produce and eggs and dairy, um, you you have a hard time to go back to kind of that industrial egg and feel good about it. And so I think the customers that went online during COVID and are still online and probably will be even after COVID leaves. From the outside, you all made it look very easy. I know that Argus is, is feeding the community in more ways than one. I had the chance to stop by the Liberty location a number of times. And not only am I able to pick up that produce, but the people behind the counter, they always have smiling faces. And it's that touch of community that is so devoid in, in most of this world right now. We yeah, and that's, I guess, comment about staff, like the staff that is working at Argus, which we now have over 60 employees, which is amazing. Um, and they're all people that are dedicated to local food, they're connected with that mission, and they really are a joy to work with and see what they're doing every day is making a difference. And so, um, so it's been nice to be a convener, you know, a place where that, that people can spend a chunk of their working lives with us doing what we're doing. Um, has been a it's been a great experience. After hearing about how busy you both are and how much you have on your plate, I don't want to steal too much more of your time. But just to close out, I know that there's a lot of uncertainty right now. But what's next for Argus? Where are you guys thinking of going? I you know what we're um, what we're focused on now is really it's hard to make business plans, long term plans during COVID because you don't quite know what's going to happen. But I think we've committed that COVID's going to be here long enough. Um, we're making some um, adjustments to our online platform that we're working on to make it easier to navigate and shop, um, and also back-end work to really integrate how that online piece can longer term fit within um, the Argus stores. So I'd say a bunch of what we're focused on is going to make it easier to shop at Argus. And I think once we get that in place, we will uh, look to even broadcast or expand our, you know, our footprint in Ann Arbor to make it uh, easier for even more people to shop, uh, shop online. Um, we're also getting a lot of energy out of working with community groups that are looking to start farm stops in our area. And we feel like um, Ann Arbor could be one of the best places in the world if we work it right to be a, a local food uh, enjoyer and a local food producer. And so, for example, to see agriculture now successfully launched in Chelsea that we worked with closely is great. So people um, on the west side of town can stop there and they can patronize a lot of the same farms and the same economics. Um, Acorn in Manchester is starting. We've been spending a fair amount of time with them, um, but we're also talking to groups in Ann Arbor that might be able to add another location and also Ypsilanti. So, um, so in addition to the you know broader interest in some farm stop models, um, you know, we'd love to see know two or three more opening up you know within uh you know the environs of ann arbor many many exciting irons on the fire well i look forward to it and thank you both for joining me thank you sam yep thanks sam hey it's sam again i hope you enjoyed this interview as much as i did if you did enjoy it please share it far and wide until next time, keep it local.